Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. We're going to make it college style for the first one of 2009. I'm John Manuel. He's Aaron Fitt. Just back from, uh, just flew in from San Diego, and uh, we're actually both very well rested. So my arms are tired, air- though, John. I was going to say, thankfully, we had an airplane. So I was, I was going to play off the bad joke and make a good joke, but you, you foiled my. Attempt. I'm all about uh, bashing our listeners over the head. We have been hanging out this weekend with Lee Folger, CEO and, po- and uh, president of Baseball America, and he's the king of the bad jokes. So uh, sometimes it rubs off. But we appreciate the download. Thank you. Uh, happy New Year. Happy holidays. All of that good stuff. Happy Festivus. I think it's uh, we need to throw that in now to be politically correct. But, Aaron, uh, we just got back from San Diego. The American Baseball Coaches Association Convention was held there. So we'll talk a little college baseball, and uh, we'll uh, start the new year. We, we petered out on our resolution last year about through August, but we'll make it our resolution again in 2009 to answer more email on the podcasts. We did a great job in the first half of 2008. So we'll try to get an 09 podcast at baseballamerica.com is the email address, and we'll do our best to address those every week here at the Baseball America podcast. And, Aaron, uh, you know, this weekend's convention, uh, really what it does is it gives us a chance to get a lot of face time with a lot of college baseball coaches at all levels. I think it's a very under-the-radar kind of event. Even we really never make that big of a deal of it, even when there is news at the ABCA uh, convention. But for us, there wasn't a lot of news. But let's catch people up, I think, a little bit on what has gone on in college baseball since uh, June, since Fresno State won the College World Series. It really, last year was the first year of a lot of changes in college baseball. My sense is uh, this being the first ABCA convention since the introduction of uh, roster cap, uh, roster limit basically of 35 players, since the transfer rule where players have to sit out a year, and since teams are mandated now by an NCAA to give each player who gets scholarship aid at least a 25% scholarship, uh, that coaches are really not happy with those changes from the NCAA. That's, uh, that's a very easy way to put it, I think, is they're disappointed in the direction of the sport, whereas in past years I thought that the ABCA, most of the 10 years I'd been going, uh, coaches were encouraged by the direction of the sport. You know, it, it's interesting, John. I, I didn't hear really any coach uh, say that they were they were pleased with the changes, um, which even a single part of the changes, right? And and you know, of course, part of that I think is uh, we get more emails from from uh, upset readers than we do with from from pleased readers. That's a good point. Uh, it's it's you're gonna you're much more likely good to point. express your displeasure than you are your your. Uh, your satisfaction. Um, so I think that's part of it. I, I, I do think that most coaches now at this point have accepted that these right. changes are here for now, at right. least. They're, they're not going to change. The NCAA, at least a couple of years, the NCAA is going to let yeah. this. Get, the NCAA get has made world. it perfectly clear that they're going to leave this, this stuff, this package in place in its entirety for uh, at least a couple of years so they can get more data to study it. Which, of course, is ironic because they didn't do that with the, with the, uh, the yeah. APR, and the, which was led to, led to it, baseball's yeah, they, poor performance in the academic progress reports. And so even though baseball was making improvements in its APR, that wasn't good enough. The presidents uh, really was, had a real problem with it baseball was, performance. It was impatience. I mean, that's why we, we've got these changes. The board of directors uh, was was acted rashly, but uh, I was going to say know, a lot of a lot of I words: impatience, irrationality. Imp, uh, those are the two ones that are the most uh, ignorant. I think those are the I three that really absolutely. are the, the three biggest words. That said, that we are where we are, and uh, you it know, it is what it is. D- it, Dave Collins has, has told the coaches, "Look." There's nothing we can do about this right now. So Basically wear it for a while. You that's it. Figure out how to deal with it. 
So, so I think uh, there was still some talk of that this weekend from from some of the usual suspects. I think who were particularly right. uh, displeased with the changes. But uh, you know, and there was the business meeting this year, the Division One business meeting. Usually, one of the highlights of this weekend for us, uh, as far as news goes. Right. Uh, pretty non-uneventful. I mean, there was uh, uh, really just a lot of, of recapping of things that were discussed uh, at the uh, the meeting in Indianapolis with with about 164 right. uh, Division One coaches. But we haven't last podcasted month. about that meeting either, so That's I, I think it's important to talk about that as well because it was it's a review for us, but I think it is new for readers who haven't read those stories. The, the basics are that the college coaches actually got together before their convention. I think that's the most imp- impressive thing, and talked about. Okay, they they're having they they want us to wear it. They want us to these are the changes. Deal with it. They basically met to discuss how to deal with it. Um, some of the the suggestions that are really on the table in the NCAA legislation sound like a more scholarships. I think you and I both agree. Boy, it would be great if college baseball had 14 scholarships. Right. That seems like almost overreaching. They were at 13 back before the last reduction to 11.7. I um, I would say the chances of baseball getting Back to 13 or 14 scholarships are, what, 5%, 2%? Am I, I being too pessimistic? You know, I, I think they've got a shot at it. I just think that it's it's not, you know, I still think it's it's at least two years away. Uh, I, I do think that eventually I, I get the feeling that there's there's momentum building to, to, to increase the scholarships at least a little bit. Uh, I really doubt that's going to happen, though, because I, that, that would be the first time that any men's sport would get more scholarships since Title IX enforcement really began. That's a good point. And in the economy that we're in now, I don't see any college being flush with cash yeah. to say, yeah, let's spend more money on men's sports. No, this is very There's good not point. a whole lot of that happening, and the only men's sports that more money gets spent on, really, are A, if you have a baseball program that makes money, or if you have another program that's an Olympic sport that makes money, which are very rare, or B, football and basketball. Right. So I, I, I have significant doubts about increasing the scholarship. It's great they want it to happen. I have significant doubts about the NCAA saying anything other than a 12-word answer that's Basically, twelve the word no eleven times, and it, it is I think encouraging though for people who want this change that um, you know several important NCAA figures have actually started to uh, to to talk about this in, in in terms that aren't completely dismissive. Right, you know Dennis Pope, for instance, has has right. has, has addressed this, and and now it's kind of a different tone when he talks about this issue than it was a couple of years ago. Um, is something that maybe could happen. Well, I think that you have the, they have a lot of educating to do the, uh, uh, on the people who are in charge of the NCAA. And while Miles Brand is seen as being in charge of the NCAA, he's really not. It's the President's Council. It's the presidents of these universities, and they just don't know. And they, That's I don't, the problem. I think yeah. to, to educate them and to demonstrate to them why more scholarships are needed for baseball is a Herculean task. And while I do think Dave Kylich is well-suited for that task, I don't know what other college baseball coaches are going to help lead that sport. Right. Now that Ron Polk has stepped aside as the coach of Mississippi State, maybe they have a better chance because, frankly, Coach Polk, for all his passion and, uh, you know, on the subject, was the wrong leader for that uh, for that move because he was just uh, throwing Molotov cocktails left and right. And uh, you know, Tim, maybe Tim Corbin at Vanderbilt is the guy. It seems like Tim has kind of been nominated by his peers to be that guy because he's had some success. And he's well spoken, and he's from the Northeast. But he's coaches, you know, he coached in the ACC at Clemson as an assistant, and now he coaches in the Southeastern Conference. He does, I think, have a unique view of the sport from being from from that standpoint. Um, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if how. I think that's pretty. 
I don't think that would happen in the next decade, to be no. honest with you. I think they're a long way off from – if they can't educate the, co- the, the presidents enough to realize where their first reaction is, well, let's cut to 40 or 44 games and let's mandate 25% scholarship restrictions, I think that – spending more money on scholarships is really way far in the future. You're probably right, John. I think it'll happen if it... I think there's a chance, I should say, that it could happen sooner than that, maybe within the next five years. But here's here's one thing, is is this issue is on the back burner a little bit. I mean, yeah. it's in the back of coaches' minds, it. but it's not really something that's at the forefront. At, at, at the meeting in November... Um, you know, Dave and the coaches uh, established their priorities. You know, by voting and, and surveys. Right. They've they've kind Dave of loves loved surveys. surveys, absolutely. Um, and and the number one priority is keeping fifty six games. Right. And even though and that's a surprise to me. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. That's a surprise to me. Uh, I don't know what the difference is between fifty and fifty six. I really don't. And even though there are coaches now who would rather play fifty two in the spring, and that's why they're playing four games in the fall. Right. You know, Rice, Texas are doing this. I mean, it's. I think you're going to see. Uh, Long Beach. I think you're going to see more more programs doing that in the future. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I, I think they just don't want to be told, "Hey, you can't play 56 games." Right. I think they want to have the option. Uh, let us decide. You Great know? point. But uh, but you know, the other things, of course, that are that are major priorities would be, um, you know, the. Uh, 25% rule 20, or no? The 25% rule is, is again, and that's one thing that they've just kind of accepted a little bit okay. here. Um, I think they want to speed up the pace of the game a little bit. And, you know, right. the, the game clock is something, or the pitch, clock, pitch is, clock is one thing that I think you could see um, happen uh, even this summer at the rules committee meeting. I'm all for pitch clock in college baseball. The game, the pace of the game is an issue for me. It's a much lesser issue to me. I that as a priority. Uh, you know, is far behind the 25% rule for me. And I think it is probably is for the coaches, but I guess they've been told to try to wear it. And uh, I still think in the next two, after two years, three years of that, I yeah. would really try to revisit that as soon as I could. But the pace of the game is an issue for college baseball becoming uh, more of a mainstream uh, outlet for uh, fans who are baseball fans, but not necessarily college sports fans. Right. Um, the game is too slow paced. There's no doubt about it. Uh, especially the it just makes it a poor TV product when it takes four hours for for games in, in Omaha. And, um, part of that is maybe the style of play, but you know uh, I don't think it was a coincidence, Aaron, that uh, you know uh, we're talking about doing a story on West Coast baseball for our college preview issue, which comes out in about a month. You know, West Coast teams play a slower style of baseball, and one of our award winners at the, the ABCA Honors Luncheon, Ken Revisa. Uh, Ken Revisa, the professor at uh, Cal State Fulton, a sports psychology professor, he's part of the problem, not part of the solution. Because he, and you can go back and read Will Kimmy's story on Jared Weaver when he was our college player of the year. Mm-hmm. Jared Weaver's whole thing was when anybody got on base, slow things the hell down. Right. And those guys, with all the pick plays, all the button defenses, all the signals, that's a slow style of play because right. there's so many defensive signals going on. There's so much. Uh, and the pitchers are all taught to slow things down significantly when players get on base and uh, to dictate a slower tempo of play, which, frankly, can be maddening to watch. Yeah, you're right. Uh, other other issues that are, are on the table here, um, the, uh, the the RPI. Oh, yeah, you absolutely. Know, it's, it's it's one thing that's – that was probably – this is interesting, John, because – That was actually talked about also in uh, Indianapolis. Right, that was, the, that was something that uh, – The proposal by Greg Van Zandt of West Virginia, the head coach there. And I think maybe he was he wasn't sure – you know, 
where his proposal would go. You know, the idea being that you assign more weight to, to wins on the road than you do for wins at home. Right. Uh, because northern teams, it's not fair that they've got to start their schedule really for the first three weeks or month of the season on the road. There's such an imbalance. Uh, the, the majority of teams in the south play their in south and in the west play the majority of their games at home, and all the teams in the in the north and the northeast play the vast majority of their games on the road. I mean, And then you've got a compounding factor because these northern teams go on, on the road, and, of course, you're statistically more likely to lose on the road right. uh, for, for any number of reasons. In any sport. In any sport. Uh, and then they go home, and they're playing all these other teams who have done, the same, done the same thing, gone south and had losing records. And so uh, the RPI kind of compounds itself. So I think that this is an attempt to maybe remedy that a little bit. Uh, and, and the thing that was really interesting to me this weekend was that the NCAA took the time to, to really put together a detailed study about this and addressed it in some detail at the convention. Right. At the very least, you know, whether something happens here or not, you know that they're, it caught their attention and that, they're, hey, they're thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the fact they also do it in other sports, there's a precedent for it. So yeah. baseball's not asking for anything that's not done elsewhere. Right. I thought Greg Van Zandt's proposal, which you covered uh, in the previous issue of Baseball America, also available at BaseballAmerica.com uh, on the college page, uh, covered it very thoroughly, and uh, basically it's a very rational proposal that makes all kinds of sense. And anybody in baseball who doesn't think that northern teams are at a disadvantage because they have to play more games on the road than they get to play at home uh, is just deluding themselves. And when you've had uh, – there have been teams that have played as many as 45 of their 56 games at home, <laughs> Miami, uh, and while I've worked at Baseball America, and that's just – that is ridiculous. Shockingly, I believe that Miami team was the number one ranked team in the RPI at the end of the season. <laughs> right. And if you don't think that – basically, RPI measures wins and losses. At its base, what it measures most is wins and losses. It factors in strength of schedule. But if you play 45 or 56 games at home, you're probably going to be 45 and 11. Right. <laughs> you have a good chance of being around 45 and 11 when the regular season ends. Right. Uh, or at least winning 40 games out of your 56. You're going to win a few on the road, but you're going to win most of your games at home. And – uh, you know, it, I also think that it's, it was telling, Aaron, that that proposal and all the permutations that J.D. Hamilton of the Statistics Service with the MPCAA handed out to the coaches that meeting, and all three of them, Miami, North Carolina, and Florida State, were still one, two, three in whatever That's right. order. That's right. I believe it was North Carolina, Florida State, Miami was the order. Uh, one, two, three in our – no, no. Miami won. Miami, yeah. North Carolina, Florida State, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, any, and all three, even with giving uh, road wins more weight. Um, those schools stayed at the top of the RPI. So it was mostly schools from the north that moved up and some schools from the south that really uh, weren't that good anyway that moved down. So it was. It, I, I thought that was interesting. I think that Coach Van Zandt's proposal makes all kinds of sense, and uh, I was able to tell him that a couple times because I seemed to run into him all over the I ran into him a few weekend, times myself. That's including funny. at the Baseball Factory sure, event on sure. uh, Saturday night after Darren Sproul's heroics and uh, – and it was crazy to be in San Diego for that home playoff game because the city was like a college town. It blew up that night. Uh, yeah. The gas lamp district, gas lamp district, was hopping on Saturday night. So, uh, other highlights, I guess, of the event for us from a newsworthiness standpoint: uh, having dinner with Roger Cador Friday night, the coach at from Southern University. That was plus plus. That was a well above average dinner. It was. It was an outstanding dinner. I was pretty impressed with Coach Kador's ability to put away some chicken. <laughs> uh, but he's a big man, and uh, we love hanging out with Roger Kador. And uh, impressive display of uh, by the baseball factory people of some significant hospitality with uh, way more pizza than could be consumed by the people who went to their event uh, on Saturday night. 
But uh, also enjoyed some of the clinics that, ever, that go on every year at the ABCA. Jerry Weinstein's clinic and Don Slott's clinic were both awesome. I think you really enjoyed the Don Slott clinic, uh, Aaron. That was my favorite clinic of the weekend. We both yeah. feel we can go out and hit some, uh, hit, at least with a metal bat anyway, do a decent job with a metal bat uh, after listening to Don Slott. Really fun to watch him break down the swing and uh, frame by frame and, and uh, you know, especially the way he would compare – you yeah. know, he would compare great big league hitters with yeah, he had hitters Pujols. from the area code games, right, side by side, and you could really see the difference. And it was awesome to see him do that. It was awesome to see him pull up J.P. Ramirez, and we both knowingly looked at each other about, wow, J.P. Ramirez, he can hit. And his swing was a really sound swing. Yeah. And that's a 15th-round pick who got a million dollars. And if Rick Jones was at that uh, clinic, he probably uh, had a tear in his eye. <laughs> Rick was very upset to lose J.P. at the last minute, and uh, he had good reason Right. To be upset for losing J.P. Ramirez. Uh, the other thing that we did at these uh, the, at the event, at least I was able to do, Aaron, whenever I taught us some college coaches, was you know roll some of the names, uh, some teams in our top twenty-five past them, and you know if I taught the West Coast coaches, try to get them to rank the teams in the West, and uh, you know showed some people the questionnaires that we get back from clubs uh, from the from the college coaches, and our top twenty-five rankings will be released in a couple weeks. I believe we targeted the nineteenth. I think a Monday, two Mondays from yesterday. Sounds about right. To release our top 25, our preseason top 25 uh, rankings. Uh, rest assured it will be dramatic when we do it. And it will be a uh, – I'd say that uh, maybe we won't have as big of a surprise, uh, number one, as maybe as we had last year. And, and I think we're going to have a pretty good – I think we're going to have a lot of the usual suspects. Right. Because you run up a lot of the usual suspects when you uh, do a college poll. But, I mean, the usual suspects have changed over the last few years. Uh, but let's – just to, to kick off a little poll discussion – uh, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, just uh, I guess how we uh, go through that process and kind of what information we're gathering now? How many? I guess I'd say how many coaches do you feel like? Uh, how many schools have you talked to already? Uh, just informally or formally in going over top twenty-five and trying to line up teams. Oh, quite a few. I you know I don't think I could count them. Upwards uh, of thirty already. Sure. I mean, it, absolutely. It's you know it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's we want to make sure that we do the best job we can on this. It's it's not something we just throw together. There's no right. there's no dartboard, but contrary to popular belief, that's right. That's right. Uh, you know, and and so a, there is a Ouija board, but the, yeah, we have the the spirit of uh, never mind. That's a bad <laughs> joke. I was trying to think of who whose spirit we would channel to do a top twenty-five rankings, but I really don't know who it would be. Good effort. Uh, uh, no, not even. Uh, I need to be more prepared for next week's podcast. But no, I mean it's 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 uh, you know, and for us it's it's a combination of you know, there's no science to this, of course, but 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 I like to try to break the teams down um, by their strengths and weaknesses, and you know, by pitching and depth and bullpen and you know, right. defense and hitting and power and all these other things, just to kind of get a, a sense for how they stack up. Uh, but then, of course, there's a lot of intangible factors. You know, we've learned over the years that some coaches just get the best out of their teams every right. year. That's and right. you got to give them the benefit of the doubt. When you see Cal State Fullerton and Dave Serrano, and they have a lot of new pitchers on the staff, they lost a lot of innings. But you see that they have talent. You kind of give Dave Serrano the benefit of the doubt. You know, he gave a clinic on how to throw on just what you should do as a coach with your bullpens for your players. And I went just to hear him talk yeah. pitching. And so did a lot of other coaches. That place was packed You know, Dave Serrano's lecture. And the reason is Dave Serrano knows pitching, especially at the college level. So. And, I, and I really enjoyed that clinic because, uh, you know, especially for, for us non-coaches, you know, to kind of see. He was concise. See. He was concise, but uh, talking to other coaches about that clinic, and there were a lot of people who went, yeah. I think, because they were curious. Absolutely. Uh, the, the guys who are kind of his 
his you know his rivals yeah. uh, will tell you that well he didn't really tell us anything we didn't know That's he was exactly right. you know he he gave you he gave you good information especially to maybe coaches at a lower level he gave you a great outline great outline but he didn't but give he didn't any give secrets you the details away. and exactly he didn't give away any secrets he talked about the string and they talk about pitching to the string but didn't say what kind of string it was or how they did how they set up the string where you know so like you said. I was going to get to that. He was, uh, I think, it was a very good clinic from that standpoint. Like he gave even you and I a good general idea of what we'd have a pitcher do in a bullpen. Right. But I think there's only a certain amount of information he gave up. And uh, you know, whereas Jerry Weinstein, he's now in pro ball. He uh, was that was my personal cheese ball clinic of the weekend, pitching off the fastball. But I was fascinated to find out that only 64% of major league pitches thrown are fastballs. I really thought the percentage would be higher. And uh, that kind of squares with uh, something D- uh, Dean Stotts at Stanford told me years ago when uh, they were talking about charting their pitches with the ChartMind software that some Stanford graduates and Coach Stotts helped come up with um, when they were charting pitches on a Palm Pilot earlier in this decade. And, you know, that they had their pitchers throwing 59 or 60% fastballs. And that was Jason Young and Justin Wayne, who were two guys who signed for a combined $5.4 million. So that was some unique arms. Uh, both guys who briefly got to the big leagues um, did not establish themselves as stars or regulars even. But, uh, you know, those were college pitchers throwing 60% fastballs. I used to think that was a low percentage, but when the major league average is 64%, that tells you that was a high percentage. I would guess that the, mo- the v- majority of college baseball is below 50% mm-hmm. for a number of pitchers throwing their fastballs. And, and it's funny because I know this is this is a big thing for you, fastball sure. command. Absolutely. you got to, you know, throw up a ponderance of the fastballs. And I talked about the, the Weinstein Clinic with, with a couple of pitching coaches this weekend. Yep. One of them was Eric Valenzuela, who, yep. of course, uh, had Brian Mattis this past year, a guy who I think has been needs criticized. To needs to work you know, the Orioles really wanted to throw more fastballs. Yep. Um, Eric said, hey, we, we told them, you know, throw first pitch change up. You know, he, they, 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 they told them to work off your secondary stuff a lot. They mm. like to do that because he said, at my level, it's about winning. It's about winning, and, and at this level, that's, that's a really good way to do it. There's the metal well, bat factor. There's we'll, the, we'll, we'll see if it is, though. They haven't won a regional yet, so maybe, right. they, maybe they sure. ought to switch up some things a little bit. Maybe Eric ought to <laughs> change that up a little bit. I'm not trying to be glib. But if it's about winning, San Diego has gotten to a certain point, but they haven't gotten past that point. I, I think there's a reason they're called secondary pitches because they're not your sure, first pitch. Sure, And uh, for me, uh, that's a, uh, it's kind of a silly thing to say <laughs> that they want to that, that, and that they think it's working. Well, it's, that's I mean, you know, reason, that's everyone, everyone, everyone appreciates that you've got to establish a fastball. Right, but that's not the reason they are where they are. They are where they are because they've had great talent. Um. And they've coached that talent up. Some of those guys come in and aren't, aren't drafted. There are very few Brian Mattises or fourth-round picks undrafted, unsigned who go to college. And they have Kyle Blair and some other guys like that. But they, for all those guys, they had Anthony Slamma. Sure. For all the, you know, they've, they've done a great job developing people. It's about winning and developing. If all you do is win and sure. you don't develop, that recruiting pipeline will dry Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And I, you, know, you know a great example of that is the University of Sliders and Curves. South Carolina uh, has done a great job recruiting over the years. But they've done it in a way that I think has hurt some of their long-term recruiting, and they're having to reestablish that a little bit. And uh, and part of that is by a very negative attitude toward pro ball. I think South Carolina is getting away from that a little bit. And, I, and that's actually where Chad Holbrook, their new recruiting coordinator, has had a great relationship with scouts over the years when he was at North Carolina. And I think he's going to help change that reputation in South Carolina. But, uh, you know, they had a great core uh, assistant coaches group there for Ray Tanner when he had Jerry Myers 
and Jim Toman there for a long time. But I think they alienated some, a lot of pro scouts, and that's where that nickname, University of Sliders and Curves, come from. And you can coach to win only so long. I think after a while that comes back to hurt you in recruiting, not help you, because players do – it's not all about winning for them to go to college. Sure. If they turn down pro money on a high school, they want to develop in college and go to Omaha. They want it all. You better try to give it to both of them. No, I, you better try to give both of them to the players, I mean. I think you're absolutely right. I, my point is just that I think that there, there's a – it's interesting. There's there's an interesting debate out there. Yeah, and and, and, so. and certainly I don't think it's it's a, it's mutually exclusive. You either win or you develop. Right. I don't. Uh, I, no, I agree. But but I you know I think that uh, there's more than one way of looking at it. When you're at USD though, and you're facing, let's just throw out a weaker Portland club. Brian Maddox should throw a lot more fastballs than he probably did this year. Yeah. I'm ju- I, 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 mean, I don't mean to pick on USD, but. There, uh, Weinstein made a great point in his clinic, and I think even uh, someone, I think someone else made this point too. There's some pretty weak six, seven, eight, nine hitters in college baseball. And if you can't attack those guys with a fastball with your top starting pitchers, you're just not thinking. You, you need to get some early count outs, and you can do that even with the metal bat. But Steve Smith, we had a great conversation with the Baylor coach, right. who obviously is a pitching background from his days as a Ron Polk assistant. You know, the metal bat changes things, and also, you know. You, you don't want as many balls in play in the college level as you do at the yeah, pro level yeah. because the defense is not as good. That's why. I so mean, metal bats make for balls that are dinks and other and with a wood bat become hits with a metal bat, and the defense is not as good. So those are two pretty big factors for why you have to miss more bats. And that's why level. I guess I guess Eric's big point was you know hey I want to I want to miss more bats. I don't pitch to contact. We pitch for the strikeout. Right. You know, we can't do like they do in pro ball, you know, just, just attack with a fastball over and over again. I mean, work up those high pitch counts because, again, you put balls in play, it's more likely something bad is going to happen right. at, that, at the right. college level. Well, the interesting thing to me is that it's the West Coast teams that are generally pitching in defense teams that actually work more off the fastball. I never hear that complaint about Long Beach State. I never hear that complaint really about Cal State Fullerton. You're right. And those are and other pitching and defense clubs. And that's why I was surprised to hear that complaint about Oregon State last year from scouts because that had been their identity for so many years. That's how they won back-to-back College World Series championships. And honestly, we saw it with Fresno last year. E- even with a shortstop and Danny Muno, who made a lot of errors and was not an efficient defender with Mendonca and Eric Wetzel at second base, that was a pretty darn good defensive infield, and those guys did pitch off the fastball in uh, in Omaha, and I think it was a big part of their success. But, of course, I, I look at everything through my fastball-obsessed prism, even uh, going to the extent of having dinner with a bunch of guys from Baseball Canada and, and Quebec Baseball. I met a scout who you talk to a lot, Andy uh, Alex, Alex. Alex Agostino. Uh, that's him. There you mm-hmm. go. That's I sat, had dinner with Sunday night. So uh, that was fun. He remembered your name. He pulled you out, and uh, he's now working for the World Series champion Phillies. So uh, oh, Alex said hello. Good. He told his main man, Aaron Fitt, he said hello. Well, Alex, if you're listening, right back at you. Absolutely. <laughs> so this is what happens at the college baseball uh, podcast, what happens at the ABCA convention. Uh, you, get, uh, you get to talk about all these kind of great things. So it was, it's a very useful convention, and uh, Aaron wrapped it up by playing golf on the, on the Monday morning. How'd you shoot? What'd I'll tell you, you I, I was I was okay, John. Not great, you know. No, I, you uh, uh, I don't want. <laughs> I, that's not for public consumption. <laughs> All right, I was hoping to out you on the, how well. How, but you had a beautiful day. Didn't you? It was it was a gorgeous morning after a cold start. It was well. I I still think the highlight was uh, talking uh, talking with Roger Cador over dinner on Friday night. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> uh, but uh, you can't. That that is that is the high life. Eating eating barbecue 
at the Top Gun uh, place, Kansas City Barbecue in San Diego, with Roger Cador. And, and finding out later in the weekend, more Top Gun, Kevin Towers was on hand for the Honors Lunch oh, on was Sunday. Awesome. Apparently when Ka- Kevin Towers was in, was, uh, was a, I think it was a junior college? Was I that... think it was a junior college. Down when, in... when Kelly McGillis's breath was being taken away by exactly. uh, Tom Cruise, to put it uh, one way. Kevin Towers stayed in the house, uh, and I think it was in Oceanside or Carlsbad, somewhere like that. Yeah, uh, where that they, where they, where they filmed it. Where Kelly McGillis stayed in, in, uh, in the Top Gun movie, so there you and go. That was his room, he said. So That's that right. Was, that was a little uncomfortable for all the old uh, people at, that, uh, at the Honors Luncheon. Don Priest, I think he blushed. But uh, <laughs> it was great to meet Don Priest. It was uh, good to see Coach Polk, who will wear number 35 this year at uh, Alabama-Birmingham in honor of the NCAA. So, uh, a lot of Rob Fornasier, like our, our assistant coach of the year this year, uh, sat next to him for a while and had a really good conversation with him at that lunch. And he's, he's a, a worthy recipient and the class act the all the way. He was a good egg of the day, that's for sure. We, that, and that was good to get to know him a little bit better. So, uh, so this is the kind of thing you get to get all year at the Baseball America College podcast. Only usually a little bit more focused, and we yell at each other a little bit more about uh, what teams are good and which ones aren't. So uh, much to look forward to on that front this year. And, again, our top 25 rankings will come out in about two weeks at BaseballAmerica.com. For Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. We'll be back next week with another Baseball America podcast. Until then, so long, everybody.